This sermon is brought to you by Shofar East London. Together, living out the fullness of Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. So I was planning to start my message this morning by, by telling you guys a, a time-traveling joke. But it turns out you didn't really like it. I mean, let's, let's try another one. Maybe, maybe we're all still waking up. If you're walking in the forest, how do you identify the dogwood trees? You can tell by the bark. And, uh, this, this doesn't really apply to my wife, but just, just for the sake of the joke, just imagine it. But, so this morning, I told my wife that she drew her eyebrows on a little bit too high. She seemed surprised. A little bit of a visual aid there. So this completely unnecessary barrage of dad jokes obviously is your clue as to what, we, what we're talking about this morning. We, we're talking about the topic of, of sonship and the view from the orphan corner and how there's such a big difference between being and identifying as a spiritual son of God as opposed to identifying as an orphan. And I want you to see it as a, just a continuation of, of the, the topic of honor that, that Alan has also touched on. And, and it, really, it really just picks up off of that foundation that we've, that we've had laid for us over the past couple of weeks. And it's just so striking for me to see how important this topic of honor is to God and how lavishly he has purpose to reward those who are truly honorable. And it's also quite striking to see just, just how severe the consequences are of of dishonor, like Andre said, if, if you sow seeds of dishonor, over time you will reap a reward of humiliation. And one of the other quotes that I, that I thought was really memorable and powerful is, is, is from Danny Silk, who says that life flows through honor. And so if you think of the body of Christ in particular, if you think of a body with many members, if, if the circulation of blood stops to a certain part of the body, then it starts to die. And so when, when we say life flows through honor, that is so important for us in the body of Christ because that is, that is what causes the circulation to happen throughout the body so that we, so that we stay alive. And, and what I really want to highlight this morning and what I feel God is, God is laying on my heart to say is that honorable behavior in and of itself is not enough. There's obviously great value in it, because it, it spares you from, from sowing those seeds of dishonor to a, to a greater extent. But honorable behavior in itself is actually not enough. And let me use this kind of picture to illustrate. It's going to feel a little bit like a detour. But have you ever found yourself entering the password for your device or some account, and you know that you're entering the right password, but it keeps telling the password not accepted? And eventually you locked out and you try to access that which you know is yours. This is my email. I'm allowed to read it, but now I can't because the password keeps getting rejected. I forgot caps lock was on on my keyboard, for example, whatever the case might be. There's, there's that sense of frustration with knowing that I'm trying to access what is legitimately mine, but for some reason my password is, is rejected. And, and I feel like Many of us are experiencing the current season that way and that we are we are pursuing the things of God's kingdom and we are pursuing legitimate promises that we read in his word. And as we try to access it, it, it just feels like 
the password is being rejected. And the, what I'm wanting to, to hold before us today is that that is very often the, it's, it's as a result of our behavior being honorable, but in our heart of hearts, we are an orphan and not a son. And God cannot allow an orphan to access the inheritance of a son because it, it would destroy him and he would destroy it all at the same time. And we're going to look at an example in Scripture of where that happens. So, so if you find yourself feeling frustrated because you're pursuing the promises of God, and the Word talks about the promise being for us and for our children, and we've got the promise of health and of provision, and we've got the promise of God of his spirit that would rest upon us and, and, and we, we would carry his anointing so that we can be effective in ministering to the lost. And we pursue those things. And sometimes it just feels like every step we take closer, the promise moves a little bit further away. And the Bible obviously speaks about when we pursue earthly things, it's like chasing after the wind. And then the picture of, you know, pursuing a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, then it makes sense. But why does it, feel sometimes like when you're pursuing godly things, legitimate things, the same seems to happen. So let's, let's make it visual just for a minute. Many of us, I think, might be a little bit too young to remember who Pepe Le Pew is. Pepe is a, a cartoon character from the Warner Brothers Looney Tunes stable, and he's a skunk. And the object of his desire is a cat called Penelope, and through some set of circumstances in every episode, Penelope ends up having a streak of white paint all along her back. And so when Pepe sees the cat, he thinks this is the most beautiful skunk that he's ever seen. And he's forever in pursuit of Penelope the cat. And so the problem is, as far as he goes, all the flowers are wilting. Babies cry. Grown-ups scream and run away, and, and Penelope, the object of his affection, also tries to make sure that she stays as far away as possible and mostly upwind as well. <laughs> and so, so this morning, despite what you might be suspecting, I'm not here to tell you that you stink. I'm not here to tell anybody that they stink. But if you, if you can relate to Pepe Le Pew, then maybe there's something in this morning's message that's going to that's gonna help you to, to unlock that account that I agree with you. It belongs to us, and we, need, and we need to unlock it to get access. But if the password isn't being accepted, maybe the problem is that Pepe has got the wrong DNA. He can act like a cat all he wants, but the problem is he's a skunk, and he, and he stinks. And you can't blame poor Penelope for not enjoying... The attention. And so that's the question that I want to answer for us today. And before I go any further, I want us just to close our eyes and let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy Spirit, we just we thank you, Lord, for your presence here. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the one that's been sent as the spirit of adoption, Lord, by whom we can cry out, Abba Father. Thank you, God, that you are here. And we thank you, Lord, that you teach us, Lord, how to relate to our Heavenly Father. That you teach us, Lord, that we have, a, we have a Daddy in Heaven. That from inside of us, Lord, that we can, we can cry out, Abba, Father. Thank you, Lord, for, for an encounter today, Lord, with your love.
with the truth of your love and the steadfastness of the love of a father, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, I pray today, Lord, just for, for your grace, Lord, for, for hearts to be transitioned, God, from being a skunk to being a cat or a ramkat. God, for hearts to be transitioned from being an orphan to being a son in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we just acknowledge that we, that we cannot do this on our own, God. We cannot do it with our own behavior or our own actions, God. It takes a miracle. And we thank you, Lord, that you are, that you are here, Holy Spirit, to come and do that miracle inside each one of us today. We would respond and we would surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 15, and it's the story of the prodigal son. And those of you who are familiar with the story, more than likely you're familiar primarily with the the focus of the story being on the youngest brother. But I want to hold before you this morning that this is a story of a dad who had two sons, and both of the sons were actually orphans at heart. And so when we read from verse 11... It says, then he said, a certain man had two sons. So this is Jesus speaking. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And then the story continues about how one day he comes to his senses and he, and he realizes, hang on. Even the servants in my father's house are better off than I am over here. I'm going to humble myself and go back to my father's house. And the father receives him with joy and gladness and arranges to celebrate. And when the older brother gets news of how the father has responded, this is what Jesus says about him. He was angry and he would not go in. So therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And so the older brother, whose behavior had been absolutely exemplary up until that point, it is revealed he was also an orphan in his heart. It's easy to see for the younger brother because he literally said to his dad, Dad, you're basically dead to me. Why don't you give me the portion of the estate that's due to me so I can be on my way? But the older brother, he didn't have a father either. He had a taskmaster. And he was frustrated with his taskmaster from his perspective because he kept on doing these valuable tasks. And in in his heart, which is the orphan heart speaking, it says, you never notice the things that I do. I'm doing all of these valuable things for you. Why don't you recognize this value that I'm adding to you? And the truth is that a son understands that his value sits in who he is as a son. There's no additional value to be added through behavior. But the heart of an orphan doesn't think like that. It only understands value in terms of what I can contribute myself. And we see that kind of behavior in Israel as they, as they moved through the Red Sea and God freed them out of Egypt. 
always used to wonder, how on earth can it be that they see miracle after miracle of God's provision and protection for them, and every time something remotely seems to be going wrong, they panic again. And, and the reason is that if, if you are an orphan at heart, then you are only willing to rely on that which you can either contribute or control. So if Jesus or God saves you miraculously through opening up the Red Sea and you get through to the other side, somehow the next morning when you wake up, you think, sure, that was lucky. And it, and it doesn't get banked in terms of your thinking that I can rely on my father. The orphan heart only chooses to rely on what he can contribute himself and what he can control. And so this is a big danger for us, especially in the Western church, because my experience as a, as a, as a young school child going to school, I'm not, no, I went to school every week, but I, I went to church most weeks as well. And I would sit in church along with just about everybody else, and you would listen to somebody preach a message. And what you're doing as somebody preaches the message is you're evaluating your behavior. And as the message goes along, you, you say, okay, I'm okay there. I'm okay there. Maybe I need to be nicer to my sister. But I'm okay there and I'm okay there. And then when church is over, you've evaluated your behavior. And if you were engaging at least, then you might go and change some of your behavior. But the problem is you can't behave your way from being an orphan to being a son. There's, there's a, there's a, there's a DNA change that needs to happen. Pepe Le Pew can behave like a cat all he wants, but he's a, he's a skunk. And he's the only one that doesn't realize that he stinks. That's very sad. But, but that's, but that's the truth. And, and so if we, if we are forever trying to do and add value by what we can contribute and what we can control, and we don't ever get to the place where we surrender to, to the love of the Father, and we say, God, I need, I need you to come and do a miracle. And once God has actually done that miracle called the rebirth, our DNA is changed, and we get a new identity. And then he says, I've, I've given you the spirit of adoption to come and live inside of you, and he, and he teaches us from the inside how to relate to our Father. And then it's so easy for us, even after that has happened, to, to fall back into orphan thinking. And so that's what I'm going to be talking about today. What does the view look like from the orphan corner? And based on what that view looks like, I'm, I'm trusting that many of you will be challenged, as I've been challenged in preparing this week, that many times there's, there's an orphan inside here. And if you had just suggested it to me, I probably wouldn't have been open to the suggestion. But the searching light of God's word can bring it to light. So I want to tell you a quick story of how the Jewish custom used to work. Some of you might, might be familiar with it. I was familiar with a part of it, but only up until the age of, of 12 or 13 where, where you have the bar mitzvah, and that's where, that's where a son would be adopted into his father's estate or, or business, and he would begin what is basically an apprenticeship in his father's business. But then what happens is for the next 18 years, until the age of 30, he serves 
as an apprentice in his father's business, and his father teaches him everything that he needs to know, the tricks of the trade, everything about the day-to-day running of that business, so that when he reaches the age of 30, the father would then either buy him a house or, or build him a house, a house and then hand over the business to him, which, which sets him up financially for life. And that, is, and that is your inheritance then in terms of the Jewish custom. So you might listen to that now this morning and think, wow, that's powerful or that's beautiful. That's such a rich heritage. But let's think through it slowly just a little bit. How many of, how many of us sitting here have been working in the same job for 18 years? Might be a couple of hands. How many of you have, have actually seen a CV of somebody that's worked in one job for 18 years? And you might say, yeah, you know, Dion, things have changed. You know, the, the, the labor market isn't the same now as it used to be. So it's not necessary for people to operate like that. It's not the norm anymore. You know, people in the workplace are, are a lot more empowered. And so you can, you can advance your career a lot faster by moving at the right times to specific jobs. And, and I would say to you, yes, I agree that it's changed. But, but the point is, let's just think about the fact that it, it's not easy to work in the same environment for 18 years. It wasn't easy then, and it's not easy now. And so this son who starts working in that environment under his father, he is working side by side with other employees in his father's business, and these employees get paid a salary. The son doesn't get paid a salary because his accommodation and his food, everything that he needs is already provided for by the father. So year after year, as he's working alongside these other workers in his father's business, he has to see how this guy buys a car, this friend of his buys a house, and maybe gets married, starts a family, and for that period in his apprenticeship, he doesn't have that same level of autonomy. So in a certain sense, you could almost argue like the son, while he's in that apprenticeship period, is, is almost worse off than just a normal employee in his father's business. And that's actually by design because it's that journey of serving that apprenticeship that qualifies the son to then get his inheritance without the inheritance being something that he, that he can, that his character cannot handle. And so it's not just a coincidence that Jesus modeled that same, that same pattern. We hear about Jesus when he gets born and we hear about Jesus when he's 12 years old, when Mary and Joseph forget him and, and he stays behind in the temple. And then we hear about Jesus again when he's 30 years old. So, again, for that corresponding period, Jesus wasn't just because he was the son of God. And even at the age of 12, he was, he was a prodigy. When, when he does surface in the scripture at the age of 12, it talks about how he just knows so much and he, and he asks these insightful questions. Um, but even as the son of God, Jesus, for that entire period, served an apprenticeship under his father's, his earthly father's business as a carpenter. That's why he's known as a carpenter. And we don't know exactly when Joseph, his father, died. But we see that when Jesus is crucified, it's Mary alone at the cross. And, and Joseph isn't, isn't there anymore. But so Jesus served that same apprenticeship 
and he and he humbly submitted himself under somebody who was his inferior under under their mission for that period and that is what qualified him as a son and not only that the first thing that he did when he started his ministry is he got himself to be baptized by by John the Baptist which again let's let's just think through that so Jesus is the son of God he served his apprenticeship He's age 30. He's been called now to step into his ministry. He's got the world at his feet. He's super anointed. And now he goes to the weird church down the road's pastor who's not worthy to tie his sandal straps and says, oh, I think I must, I think you need to baptize me in public. And John rightfully says, oh, whoa, 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 hang on, Jesus. I'm not worthy to untie like your sandal straps. Why would you want me to baptize you? And Jesus doesn't really explain it. But that's what he insists needs to happen to fulfill righteousness. And it's there in doing that where the Father actually opens up the heavens and he shouts down. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So that is the heart of a son as opposed to the heart of an orphan. An orphan can inhabit that same posture or that same position and, and, and take on that same posture and behave in the same way, but he can't stay there when it, when it looks like it's no longer to his benefit. But the son, when he is qualified for his inheritance, he is able to take up that position of humble, subservient submission to somebody else's vision, and he doesn't need a pat on the back for it because he, he knows his father, and he knows that the inheritance, the estate belongs to him. And so if this is what his father wants for now, this is what he'll do. And so here's what I mean when I say the view from the orphan corner. Over the past couple of weeks, we've had some beautiful messages about the principle of honor. And so Andre and Sonica and JP and even Danelle's message from last week to an extent is about honor and how we need to give honor, whether or not we feel like the person deserves it or not. Now, if, if you're sitting in the orphan corner, I want to suggest to you that what you see when you think about whether it's your spouse or your manager, your boss at work, maybe it's a client or maybe it's a civil servant that you cross paths with, with regularly. When you think about that person that you've been taught now over the past couple of weeks, it's, it's important and it's to your benefit to honor them. If primarily and overwhelmingly what you see and what you think of when you look at them is their faults and their weaknesses and their mistakes, then that's a good indication that you might be sitting in the orphan corner. And so even though you understand that it's necessary to give honor, the honor is not flowing from a willing heart. The honor is flowing from a heart that understands that if I don't do this, I will suffer the consequences. And... It's not the, it's not, it's better than doing nothing at all. But the honor that actually causes life to flow throughout the body is honor that flows from a willing heart. And that's only going to happen if you can get out of that orphan corner to a different position where when you look at that person, you actually can find the honorable part of that person, of their heart. Because the word says that all authority is from God. So there's, there's something in everybody that's in a position of authority in your life that is honorable 
And the, and the trick is, am I, am I displaying honorable behavior because I know it's to my benefit? Or am I actually positioned in the position of a son where I can look at that person and I can find the honorable and give honor accordingly? So I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story out of a book that I read in preparation for this message. And I, I would highly recommend the book if you, if you feel like you want to just give this topic and this, this thing a little bit more time. It's called Spiritual Slavery to Spiritual Sonship by Jack Frost. And in this book, he, he tells the story of, of how he came from a, a broken and a dysfunctional home, but he always had the dream in his heart to become a fishing boat captain. And surprisingly, becoming a professional fishing boat captain is, is one of the most difficult occupations to actually get access to because it's, it's very secretive. It's a very closed industry. So it's not that difficult to find a job on a fishing boat. But if you're working as a mate on, this, on a fishing boat, you will never get access to the wheelhouse where you would see the coordinates of where the captain is actually steering the boat because he's got his secret fishing spots, and he, and he guards them with his life. And the, and the real tricks of the trade and the day-to-day operations of that fishing boat stays with the captain, and he transfers it from generation to generation. And so Jack started working on these fishing boats from age 13, and it would frustrate him endlessly how it, it didn't seem to matter how hard he worked. He would, never, he would never get the invitation to come into the wheelhouse and see, let, let's show you how I do these things. It would always be the captain's sons, and the captain's sons wouldn't work as hard as Jack on a Saturday or a Sunday. They wouldn't come in to come and clean the boat. They would just, they would just seemingly rock up for all the best parts, and it, and it frustrated him endlessly, so much so that he, for a time he gave up on his dream, but then... He got back into the fishing industry when somebody told him about a guy called Captain Klein. He had three vessels, and the oldest of the three nobody wanted to work on because it was, it was really old and, and in bad shape. And so Jack decided, I'm going to take this position, and I'm going to show this guy how hard I can work. And it wasn't long before the captain noticed that this old fishing vessel is looking better than it had for many years. And so the Captain Klein noticed this youngster called Jack Frost, and a little while later, when he fired the first mate on his premier fishing vessel, he appointed Jack to become the first mate there. And by this time, he'd been in the fishing industry for about 40 years, Captain Klein. And after, after a while, he called Jack in and he said, listen, Jack, it's time for me to get out of the industry. I don't have a son of my own. Stick with me for the next two years. I'm going to teach you everything that I know. And I'm going to pass it on to you. And then when the time is right, we'll draw up a contract. And then I'll hand over the business to you. The fleet will be yours. And I'll retire and live off the payments. And so Jack's dream was busy coming true. And for a two-year period, he was in this relationship with a model father figure. And for two years, they never skipped a beat. Jack never disobeyed or disappointed Captain Klein in any request or any any command, anything that he, that he desired from him. And Captain Klein was very gracious, very encouraging. Whenever he gave Jack something to do that was a little bit of a stretch and he struggled, he would always encourage him. He would always encourage him. And he wouldn't 
um, berate him or, or belittle him when he made a mistake. He would keep on saying, Jack, I believe in you. Just try this again. You're going to get it right. I've never seen anybody learn as fast as you do. I've never seen anybody as conscientious as you are. You're going to be the best in the business. Just try it again. And so for two years, they were in this model father and son relationship. And after the two-year period, when it was around about the right time, according to Jack, for, for them to now do the transfer and do the handover, he approached Captain Klein and he said, listen, Jack, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I know that I promised you that this would be done and I know that this is the right time. But my wife has just been diagnosed with cancer and the treatment is really, really expensive. I, I, I really just can't afford it now. And I want to ask you, just stick with me through this difficult season. We're still going to do it. I promise you, I, I, I haven't changed my mind about that, but I can't afford it now. And so all of a sudden, after two years of being in this model father-son relationship, the orphan heart inside of Jack suddenly jumps up. And he was unable to see that as a reasonable request. And, he, and so he says that his heart immediately turned away from Captain Klein. And in the months that followed, he still showed all of the same behavior. He didn't disobey any of the, any of the requests, any of the commands. He still went about his work in exactly the same way, but his heart had turned away. And and like I said, so the, so the orphan heart inside of him was exposed. And the, and the difference between a son and an orphan is that a son can live in that space, but an orphan can only stay in that position of humble subservient submission as long as it looks to him as if he's going to get what he wants at the end of the day. As soon as it looks like, hang on, this isn't moving in the direction that I wanted to go, the orphan can't stay there as much as he can breathe underwater. And eventually he, he jumps up and, and, and that is revealed. And so after a while, he decided to go back to Captain Klein and he, and he asked him, please, can't you reconsider? Um, maybe we could structure the plan differently. I'm sure he had a couple of ideas and, and Captain Klein just said, listen, I'm really sorry. I'm not, I'm not going to not do it, but I can't afford it right now. And, they, and the relationship broke down to such an extent that he eventually walked away. And as is always going to be the case, the enemy picks up on this. You know, when, when we've got an orphan heart that's offended, it's very clear to see, and the enemy picks up on it. And, and so a, a rival captain came to him and, and said to him, listen, I, I see Captain Klein, he hasn't made you captain yet. You know, I think it might never happen. Maybe he's just stringing you along. If you come work for me, I'll make you captain tomorrow. And so eventually when the relationship broke down, so Jack went over to this other captain. He became captain of a fishing boat instantly. And he had, a, he had a meteoric rise to success. From the first week, week after week, he was top hook, which is the way of saying that, that, that his boat caught the most fish week after week. And so in the pubs, at the end of the working day, he would be the man. Everybody would want a little bit of his time. Nobody had seen somebody as young and inexperienced as he was rise to the top so quickly. But the way that he got there was through everything that Captain Klein had poured into his life over that two-year period. And so he was like the younger son in the story of the prodigal son. He was like the prodigal son. 
So he had illegitimately gotten his hands on his inheritance and he wasted it away and it was destroying his life. Meantime at home, his, his relationships were falling apart because as an orphan, all you can see is the, is the wrong that is perpetrated against you. All you can see is what somebody else has done that is unjust towards you and you are unable to see the hurt that your actions cause other people. And so his relationships at home were falling apart. Even though he was a Christian at this point, his wife and his, and his, or his wife had been planning to take the kids and just, and just get away because she couldn't deal with the, the hurt that was being dished out and he just, he just couldn't see it. And so Jack tells the story of how it took him 20 years to get to the point where he realized that he needed to apologize to Captain Klein. And I just think that story is such a powerful illustration of how many of us, we can find ourselves in a position where we're convinced that we are a son because we've been acting like a son for years. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a place where, where our orphan heart is revealed through circumstances to maybe somebody pushing those buttons. But when you see, like Pepe Le Pew, like the object of your desire continually just being out of reach, many times that's actually grace. Because if you, if you get your hands on your inheritance before you've actually got to the point where you are a son that can carry that inheritance with honor, then it's, it'll, be, it'll be to your detriment. It'll be your destruction to get your hands on that inheritance prematurely or illegitimately. So, so what do we do? Maybe, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, okay, Dion, you've got me convinced. Maybe from time to time I sit, I find myself sitting in that orphan corner. So, so what, what do we do? And the, and the challenging thing is that for us in the Western church, we want to come away from church with a to-do list, things that I can physically go and do, but we can't behave our way out of this orphan corner. I can't, I can't give you a, a set of things to do that's going to make you now no longer an orphan, but you're a son. Because what needs to happen is, is that there needs to be a DNA change. Pepe the skunk needs to become a cat. And, and there's nothing that he can do that will, that will change himself into a cat. And so it absolutely has to do with the love of a father. And as I was preparing this message, this is what I thought that I was going to be preaching on. I thought I was going to be preaching about how incredible the love of a father really is and how life-changing and transformational it is. And that's, and that's absolutely true. It blows my mind when I think about the day that I became a father. It literally felt like I'd been an aeroplane for my entire life, but that was the first time that I actually got off the ground. It was what I was made to be, but I'd never experienced it or tasted it until the day that, that my first son was born. And it blows my mind to think that God could feel that way about us. That, that is just a glimpse of how God feels about us as his children. But the, but the truth is that the presence of a perfect father figure doesn't necessarily transform you from an orphan into a son. 
And so what actually needs to happen is there needs to be, there needs to be a, a miracle on the inside where the, where the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence inside of us as the spirit of adoption, and he transforms us, and he teaches us how to relate to our Father and how to step into this new identity. And that's, that's obviously what, what the new birth is about. When Jesus explained to Nicodemus, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven if you are not born again. He's talking about that miracle that needs to happen. The skunk can't get in to the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. And when you are born again, then you are saved. But what happens is, is we get born again. And sometimes we just, in our mindset, we revert back to that orphan mentality. And even though we have been born again, we inhabit the orphan corner and it manifests through the way that we see the world and the way that we interact with the world. So, so I want to make that clear. This is not about um, you weren't properly saved. It, that miracle of the rebirth, it happens. But we need to continually monitor whether or not we've gone back into that orphan mindset where we came from. And so if you read with me in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17, it says that for many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Interesting that he uses the word again in that sentence. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. But to me, that, that speaks of, of that, that cycle that so easily wants to repeat itself. You're born again, you receive this new identity, but then in our hearts and in our mindset, we so easily revert back to being a slave, being in bondage, being an orphan. The Holy Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So, the bottom line this morning is that our behavior can't get us out of the orphan corner. And if the view that I've been describing sounds familiar to you, then I, then I want to invite you to get out of the orphan corner by surrendering. We need, to, we need to hear what the Word of God says. And we need to encounter the love of the Father, believe that if He says that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we can become sons of God. Believe that and surrender to that love. Because many times everything inside of us wants to look at a picture like that and say, I'm in this corner here. I want to get there. Let me start walking. And this, and this, is, just a, this is a walk that you cannot walk with your own feet. This is something that God needs to come and do on the inside, and our job is to surrender. Our job is to believe. And once that miracle happens, then we can begin to operate out of the sonship corner, and we can begin to operate out of a view that suddenly looks different. And the honor that we then give will begin to flow from a heart that is willingly surrendering that honor. It's not honor that's coming from, a, from an orphan whose heart is closed off, and he's only doing it because he knows it's good for him. Amen. So this, like I said, this, it felt like my brain was hurting and breaking as I was trying to process this because 
I really thought I was going to come and talk about something else. And God just revealed to me, no, this is, this is the issue. Many times there's an orphan inside you and you're trying to, and you're trying to act like a son, but you need to come back to the place where you, your DNA was changed. You are no longer Pepe Le Pew, the skunk. When God gets hold of you, you become changed. Your DNA changes. You're now a rum cut. And Penelope would be glad to have you, <laughs> your inheritance. So, so I'm wanting to, to just close off with this. I, I can't, I feel like I can't overstate how, how easy it is for us in the Western world to, to fall into this trap because we live in a, in a world and in a culture that's been shaped by orphans and it celebrates orphans. If, if you don't believe me, just think about the, the, Big autobiography movies that are that are doing so well nowadays. Freddie Mercury, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg. If you've seen the story of their lives, these are people who became incredibly successful because they were incredibly driven, because they were orphans at heart. And they didn't care who they hurt on the way to the top. And we and we celebrate them and they, they are the people that have shaped our culture. But we, we need to get out of. We need to get out of that. That is such a dangerous place. The Book of Malachi talks about God sending the Spirit of Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord to come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons, and the hearts of the sons to the fathers, lest He strike the earth with a curse. So there's a there's a curse of fatherlessness. That is upon the earth today. And that curse needs to be lifted. And, and so in the name of Jesus, I'm proclaiming that curse is lifting over South Africa. As we intercede for God's intervention and for the spirit of adoption to be poured out in our nation. And for the hearts of the sons to be turned back to the fathers. And the hearts for the fathers to be turned to the sons. For those generations to be reconciled. Otherwise, all, all that we see are, are people in positions of power and people in positions of authority who are orphans at heart. And the only decisions that, and, and actions they are able to take are based on the perceived injustices against them. And, and, they, and they're not serving the people that they have, they have been chosen and elected to serve. And that is something that can only be rectified by God. So I'm wanting us to, to pray for that. So before we close, I've got three final points that I want to unpack. And then I'm going to invite you forward. If you feel like this message is spoken to you and you need to do business with God and you need to come back to that place where the miracle actually happens on the inside and the DNA gets transformed, I want to invite you forward. And, and then if, you, if you're not needing to come forward, I want to invite you just to take a little bit of time as we're going to be ministering and praying I want you to, where you're sitting, just form a couple of groups and just pray for our nation. I want, I want you to pray for that curse of fatherlessness to be lifted and broken over our nation and for the spirit of adoption to be poured out in South Africa, in the city of East London, and in our church, in the name of Jesus. So these are my final points. This is what I want you to remember. Intimacy must always precede fruitfulness. 
So when the Bible talks about Adam and Eve getting children, it says that Adam knew Eve, Eve conceived and bore a child. So intimacy must always precede fruitfulness. And, and the scary thing about, about this is when, when Jesus talks about people knocking at the door one day of heaven, saying, Lord, Lord, we've done this in your name. We've cast out demons and we've done miracles. And he says, get away from me because I never knew you. Intimacy must precede fruitfulness. We can't busy ourselves with trying to do the things of the Lord and even pursuing the things of his kingdom if we haven't first got to that point where we've engaged in an intimate relationship with the Father. And from that flows the fact that that relationship with the Father is more important than the inheritance. The one that we are praying to is more important than the things that we are praying for. And it sounds so obvious, but I, I was so, so convicted this week of, of how that just hasn't been the case always. We, we get so fixated on the things that we pray for because those things have been promised to us. And we feel frustrated when we don't get them. And we take out that frustration on our Father who we are praying to, and our heart turns away from Him and looks for any way that we can get our hands on, on, on these things that, that have been promised to us and we feel entitled to it. But relationship with the Father is more important than the inheritance. And so I've had to, during this week, just repent and say, God, I'm, I'm really sorry. My conduct has clearly communicated the opposite. My conduct has clearly communicated to you that the things that you can give me are more important to me than, than relationship with you. And then lastly, the great commandment comes before the great commission. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. We need to get that right, and out of that flows the Great Commission. So I'm wanting to trust that, it, that if, if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling frustrated because you, you, you find yourself pursuing the kingdom of God, you find yourself pursuing the things of God, and you say, well, God, I'm entering the right password. I'm ticking all the right boxes. Why is it not working? I'm trying to glorify you. What is up with this situation? It doesn't add up. What, what is going on? Maybe this is what's going on. And maybe there's that reset that needs to happen. So in closing, and we can all stand so long, I want, I want to just ask you, what is the view like from where you're sitting? If you think about the people that are placed in positions of authority in your life, and you think about the honor that you, that you give to them, is it coming from a willing heart? Or is it coming because you know that it's good for you to do that? And when you think about those people, do you think primarily of their weaknesses and their faults? And the things that come to mind first is always the perceived injustices where you, where you feel like they've wronged you. If that's the case, then maybe, maybe it's necessary to, to raise your hand and surrender to God and say, God, I need to get out of the orphan corner and stop trying to behave like a son when I'm sitting here. I need to get back to the beginning where the miracle happened on the inside 
Do you feel like your spiritual inheritance just seems to hover out of reach and every step that you take closer to it, it just seems to move further away again? If that's the case, it might be that it might be that that is the grace of God and that he knows that if, if you were to get your hands on your inheritance as an orphan at heart, not only will you squander your inheritance, it might destroy you as well. And it's not like the inheritance isn't yours. It's just that we need to get out of the orphan corner and take up our position in our true identity. So in closing, I, I want to read one final scripture. And as I read it, I, I want to trust that, that the word of God would, would speak to our hearts. It's in Galatians chapter 4, from verse 4 to 7. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Therefore, you are no longer slaves. Hang on. I see something's happened with my copy and paste here. I'm going to read it from the screen. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So I want to release that and speak that over you. That through that miracle, you are no longer a slave and you are no longer an orphan. You are a son of God. And so to the, to the ladies in the house, when the Bible talks about a son and an inheritance, it doesn't mean that you're excluded. In the same way that when the Bible talks about us being the bride of Christ, it doesn't mean that the men are excluded. It's just that the concept of God is, is too big for, for just a male or a female frame of reference to actually capture it. That's why the closest thing to the representation of God that we have is when a man and a wife are joined in marriage. The scripture says they become one. And that's the closest representation that we actually have on earth of what God is like. So, again, whether you are a man or a woman, you're an heir because you qualify as a son through what God has done and through the Holy Spirit that's been poured out in our hearts. Amen. Thank you for listening. Find more on Shofar East London's podcast channel. Let's do life together.